New Hampshire football playoffs are going to get underway. We'll talk all about them on this edition of the Seacoast Sports Forum. Sherm Chester, along with Sam Bruno and our special guest today, Roger Brown from the New Hampshire Football Report and the Manchester Union leader. Well, gentlemen, football season, we've been waiting all the time to get the, the playoffs underway, and uh, they're here. And Roger, uh, let's throw it right to you. Um, everybody wants to discuss Division One, but let's work backwards. Okay, let's work backwards. You've been covering all the different divisions in the NHIAA. Um, just give us a rundown on those. Let's go uh, two, three, four, and then we'll go to Division One. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, to keep it brief, sure. This year, uh, there's not a lot of parity in the state in the divisions. You know, we got clear favorites in all the divisions except division one I would say um some would argue that when it kind of is that but I mean division two we have two unbeaten teams Timberlane and Lebanon I'd be surprised if they didn't meet for the championship um certainly one of them will probably win the championship uh division three is almost a foregone conclusion it's Pelham they've played everybody have won every game by at least 32 points um, they were a strong division two program. Now they're in division three. So it'll be a shock if anybody even gives them a game and similar thing in division four, where we have Newport, you know, uh, won it last year undefeated this year. Um, they'll probably play the, the winner of, uh, Summersworth and, uh, Epping Newmarket in the championship, but they, they'd have to be considered the, uh, prohibitive favorite in that division. Okay. Division one, I think has some depth to it. You know, we have favorites, but there's there's a little bit more uh um parity in that division and we could see some upsets well let's work our way up the up the ladder so to speak in division one let's start off with gert versus salem what uh what's your what's your feelings there and what did, what did you see during the season let's look at it what you've seen during the season and what you're projecting for the playoff games yeah well uh what i saw during the season well bg beat them in the regular season when they met and um what I've seen out of Salem is a team that's gotten gotten significantly better on defense throughout the year. Um, so I think they are a very dangerous team in the postseason because they have a terrific offense already. They can score against anybody. Um, it was just a matter of, are they going to be able to stop people? And I think it, you know, they, they sent a message when they beat Londonderry a couple weeks ago and, um, you know, if it's not Londonderry on that side, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Salem uh, makes it to the championship game again. And then moving up a, a notch, you got Londonderry and Pinkerton. What uh, what you take on that? Yeah, big you know rivalry game. Um, so you never know. That's that's the you know that's their version of Winnicott and Exeter. So um, both teams will be up for that one. It was close during the regular season. Uh, both teams have some injuries. Londonderry lost its starting quarterback for the year. Um, but the kid who's going to start against Pinkerton also played against them in the regular season and led them to victory. So, um, and I think Pinkerton had some injuries and, and they have some kids coming back. So, you know, make Luminary a slight favorite cause they're at home, but, uh, that should be a real good one. Sam, you want to lead, uh, lead us up to the top tier? Sure. I mean, uh, as you alluded to, uh, Winnicott in high school certainly is the favorite. They're the number one seed. And, uh, surprisingly they're going to be playing at home against number four Goffstown. Uh, try to figure out how a four and three team got into the playoffs. What do you think about that, Raj? Well, uh, 
that sounds like a segue to my grievance. <laughs> One of my grievances with the playoff format. And uh, maybe you guys can explain it to me because I've asked around and I can't get a good answer for why we do things the way we do them. And I don't want to take up the whole show, but as you guys know, there's four conferences in division one and the conference champions automatically get a playoff berth, regardless of their record. You could be three and six and you're making the playoffs. I have no idea why we do it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, just as an example, let's, let's use Exeter and Bedford. Let's say Exeter finishes six and three and Bedford finishes four and five and Exeter beats Bedford 35 to nothing. Bedford can still make the playoffs over Exeter because they're in the other conference. And if the weaker teams are in that conference or the stronger teams are in Exeter's, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to get shortchanged. Mm-hmm. And to me, we play a regular season um, to determine the, the best teams. They should just take the teams with the best record. Um, some people say, well, the NFL, well, yeah, the NFL does it that way because they don't play balanced schedules. They don't play the same opponents like these high school teams do. I just think the kids work too hard. And, you know, it's not fair to them in some cases, and uh, it needs to change. And people say, well, that's far-fetched, your scenario. Well, no, it's not. It's happened multiple times already. Um, One year we had two four and five teams get in over a seven and two. So uh, division one playoff format is, is 99% terrific, but that one thing needs to be tweaked. So looking at your, uh, your power pole and the union leader, uh, do you think that's more reflective of how the, how the seating should go? Well, there are some people that want, um, that would like to see them seed the teams one through eight, regardless of what conference you're in. Right. You know, I'm okay with how they do it now. And, and this year there's, I don't really have any complaints. I mean, they threw us an extra wrinkle, Sam, because of the, uh, the postponed games, you know, and, and again, I think those should have been forfeits and things would have worked out a little smoother, you know, with the golf town situation, but they decided not to go that route. Um, I just think, you know, I mean, we have a very fair system in terms of uh, determining these playoff teams if they would just use it properly. And, you know, all 10 teams that are competing for the four playoff spots play each other, just take the four best records. It's, it's not all that complicated to me, but, you know, we throw this wrench into the works. It's like they're overthinking it or something. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's too bad. You know, somebody's going to get uh, shortchanged here in the near future if they don't make a change. Well, then we go to uh, the game that we're concerned about here. Anybody that bleeds blue, Exeter versus Bedford. I mean, your take on the game, what you saw during the regular season, and then what you're what you're projecting ahead. Bedford played uh, perhaps its best game of the year uh, against Exeter in the regular season, in my opinion, and you know uh, came out of Exeter with a win. Um, that said, they only scored one touchdown in the game. Um, I don't think, you know, if they kick three field goals, uh, I don't think that's going to be enough to beat Exeter the second time. So I think, you know, Bedford's going to have to um, find the end zone, you know, a little bit more than it did in the regular season meeting. And Exeter is just going to have to play a whole lot better. You know, um, they, uh, they, they, it's the old bend, but don't break, right. They allowed Bedford to pass the ball on them, but they stiffened up when they got in the red zone and, I think maybe uh, Exeter fans would like to see a little bit more pressure on, on the Bedford quarterback, Joe Michael, in, in the rematch and make him a little more uncomfortable. So I think if Bedford can throw the ball, um, you know, effectively, they got a good chance to win. Um, 
but you know, uh, I picked Exeter to win the regular season game and I'll probably pick them again in the rematch. It all comes down to the Blue Hawk, Blue Hawk defense. Historically, we know that in big games, especially on the road, Blue Hawk defense is really, really formidable. And I think when they're on the road, their defense plays a lot better. And uh, I think they'll be all set uh, against Bedford. Yeah, I, 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 I think Exeter uh, has got a great shot to come away with a win. Now, Roger, do you know who is going to be the quarterback? Is it going to be Pafford? I would assume so. Uh, you'd have to speak to Mr. Ball about that to get the official word, but um, seems like they've settled on him, you know, last few games. So kind of uh, you guys would know a few years ago, they went with Kyle Ball uh, at halftime of a regular season game against Bedford. And it's almost uh, deja vu here, you know, with Pafford moving into quarterback midway through the uh, Bedford game this year. I just remember the Blue Hawk game when they went to Pinkerton and, uh, Pinkerton was a big favorite in that game, and they they played in Derry, and uh, the defense was just immense. So uh, I don't think there's going to be more. I don't think either team is going to score more than 20 points in this game. So uh, I think it's going to be that kind of situation. Now, that said, uh, we saw Joe Michael kick field goals the other day uh, when they were at Exeter, and he's certainly a weapon. Yeah, and the other thing that would concern me is, is Bedford looked like they were pretty tough up front against Exeter's running game for the for the majority of the uh, first meeting. And um, that was surprising to me. I thought Exeter would run the ball better. Uh, second half, they kind of got it in gear, but they're going to have to, you know, be more effective on the ground um, for all four quarters, I think, in the rematch. Just to, you know, even if they don't score, just field position battle and keep the ball out of Bedford's hands and things like that. It's important for them to control the clock and get first downs at, at, at least, which uh, they failed to do at least in the first half of the first meeting. I think that we all, uh, the consensus here and, and probably uh, out the media is when the kind of warriors are the team to beat. So depending upon who gets into this next round and if they get into the next round for the championship, um, what would be your game plan, Raj? What, 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 do, what do you see that when it kind of does right that I, I don't care if it's Bill Ball or any coach, uh, Brian O'Reilly, whoever, what is it they have to, to, to come up with to, to slow them down or stop them or beat them? Was that when it kind of, when it kind of, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think it depends on who they're playing. I think if it's Bedford, you know, they're going to have to throw the ball and they're equipped to do that. You know, uh, when it kind of, it's a big, tough physical team, uh, as we saw, they don't give them up much on the ground. Uh, so I think it's, um, you know, they're the team that has the best chance against them is a team that can spread them out, run it and throw it which Goffstown can do, and uh, certainly Bedford can do it. Exeter, not so much. You know, um, <clears throat> if Exeter plays them, uh, same thing as I was just saying against Bedford, they got to do a better job in terms of running the ball, uh, keeping the ball out of when it comes its hands, generating first downs, you know, Exeter football, basically. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the, the second biggest thing is, you know, when it kind of turned the ball over five times against Exeter the first game, it's still one. That's not a good sign for Exeter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you get turnovers like that, you're going to have to capitalize. If you if you let Winnick kind of get away with that and, you know, five turnovers, they got seven points out of them. Um, you'd like to think if a team turns the ball over five times, you're going to beat them. So if they do turn it over, got to turn those turnovers into points. So thinking out loud, is Exeter's <clears throat> better team 
now after eight games than were than three games in when they played Winnicunnan. A better team, Sam? Is that what you said? Are they a better are they a better team now than when they played Winnicunnan? Well, you'd like to think so. You'd like to think all teams are better as long as they're healthy. Um, I, I will say this, you know, one thing about the quarterback change and, and um, uh, Evan Pafford does give him a little bit more in the run game. You know, I think he's a little bit quicker and, and maybe a little more elusive. Um, we saw him run a couple of sweeps against Bedford and it doesn't sound like much, but that can be a big part of Exeter's offense, you know, third and five when they're faking it three times. And then all of a sudden the quarterbacks, you know, around the corner and you're chasing them in the secondary. <clears throat> so, you know, that's a wrinkle um, I think works in Exeter's favor uh, that would help, will help them against Winnicott or anybody they play. And I, yeah, I would say they're a better team. Sure. Um, you know, they've playing better the last few weeks and um, you know, Coach Ball usually has his team ready at this time of year. I, I just have one of a NHIAA question for you, Raj, because you seem to be right on top, the pulse of the NHIAA here. <laughs> They're um, big fans of me. Why, why is Winnicunnant Goffstown on Friday night? That's the only Friday night game. <clears throat> well, this is the first year they've allowed Friday night games. Uh, I shouldn't say allowed, but they were a little more lenient. They, they, They've had uh, Friday night games in the past if there was uh, extenuating circumstances, but I think they feel that a lot of complaints from schools who wanted to play on Friday night. Uh, most of the coaches I talked to wanted to play on Friday night. I know Bedford wanted to play Exeter on Friday night. So it's just a matter of both schools agreeing. Uh, you know, if one says, no, I'd rather play on Saturday, uh, that's what they do. But in this case, Goffstown and Winnicott have both preferred Friday. So that's where they're, that's where they're going to. So it's a, it's, it's a mutual decision by the two yes. teams. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And what about uh, one thing, maybe uh, you could uh, bring this up, Sam, is uh, uh, we get to the, to the, to the uh, championship games and we just got uh, a note from the folks up at Exeter high school because of Bill Ball Stadium, William Ball Stadium, uh, potentially being utilized for the NHIA championship games tell us about what you what we found out what you heard well yeah um we talked to jeff collins uh executive director of the nhiaa months ago and he let us know right off the bat before the season started that the championship games would not be played at unh um this year because of covid restrictions or concerns about whatever and uh so that they would be played at a neutral site on a turf field so those are the two conditions that have to take place uh, for the championships. And uh, we're getting indications right now uh, that either the division three or division four championship of which the semifinals will be this weekend, one of those divisions will be at William Ball Stadium on Saturday, November 13th. And then we're getting indications that on the 20th of November, which is a Saturday, either the division one or the division two final game will be at William Ball Stadium. Um, so uh, there's still going to be football action in Exeter uh, coming up. Uh, if you want to take in some high school football, at least leaks, at least on the 13th and the 20th. Now I'm going to put you on the spot, Roger. If you, and I'm not going to, it'd be if I'm, I was going to say, I'm not going to ask you for a prediction, but if you had a dream matchup for the, the championship, or division one, what would it be? 
Oh, I'm going to wiggle out of this one, Sherman, and give you two different answers. All I right. would like to see – if Winnicott gets in, mm-hmm. I would like to see him play Londonderry. All right. I think that would be a terrific game, a lot of similarities. Um, uh, if, if Let's say it's an Exeter. Um, I would be interested to see Exeter play either Pinkerton or Salem. Okay. Um, I just think those, and I re- the reason I say those things, I, I think those matchups will give us the best and most entertaining games. So, yeah, I agree with whatever you. it is, I'm going to be happy with. But those would be those would be particularly interesting matchups for me. Well, Sam and I were uh, at a soccer uh, final or a cha- uh, semifinal game at uh, William Ball Stadium the other day, and uh, it was a cold night. So up into the uh, the PA area, the uh, two ads and head coaches of the respective teams, the Blue Hawks and the Astros came up there, were sitting side by side and uh, just talking shop. And it was interesting because I, I was looking and uh, I asked Brian O'Reilly, uh, the head coach of the Astros, I said, you got your game plan all set up, coach? He says, I'm still working on it. It'll be locked up by by Friday. So <laughs> so he's he's ready to go. And uh, I said to him before he left, I said, you know, you're, you're almost talking a century of, of experience there between those two guys. That'd be a fun matchup to see again. I really would like to see Exeter versus Pinkerton if it was my brother's. Oh yeah, that'd be a fan. Pinkerton is good enough to win it all. Trust me, they they yeah. have a very good team. They've battled through key injuries all year. Uh, if they're at one hundred percent health or close to it, uh, they're they're going to be a tough out. You know, particularly if they can get by their rivals in that first round. Don't sell them short. Uh, and well, somebody I'm, told I'm, me, well, go ahead. Sam. I'm a former Salem Blue Devil, so I'm going to be watching Salem closely as the dark horse coming out of that three seed in the Southwest bracket. They're my I love team. talking black brackets. We're talking brackets now. <laughs> yeah, brackets are good. Uh, they, I think Salem has the, probably the Gatorade Player of the Year and uh, Aiden McDonald, the running back. Uh, they can beat anybody. I, I've, you know, they were number one in my preseason poll. May have overrated them a little bit, but again, like Sherm alluded to, I think they're a lot better team now than they were the first half of the season. Man, that brings up a good point. You yeah, uh, of the teams in Division One. And if you want to mention the other divisions, you could. I just want to get your pick for, and and I don't want to say player of the year or anything at this point, but the standouts at this point. All right, let's put it this way: of those teams that are in the in the finals for Division One, just pick one for each team that you'd say this is the guy you kind of have to, or that player you have to kind of keep an eye. Well, on. you know, you got to go probably with Jake uh, Weberg from Exeter, running backs. You know, secondary. Read there. Um, Boy, Winnicott is so tough because, and that's an issue, not to avoid the question, but a lot of these teams, Winnicott and Londonderry both in particular, are just not built around one star. You know, Mm -hmm. they've just got, um, you know, so many good players. But, you know, I would go with the quarterback, Tilly, at Winnicott only because, you know, if he can avoid turnovers, they're going to be really, really tough to beat. Bedford probably has the best passing quarterback in the state, Joe Michael. And, um, you know, uh, Gosstown, um, you know, the big tight end, you know, Division One offer, uh, Peyton Strickland, uh, probably the most talented player in the state, you know, so uh, multiple Division One offers, I should say. So then you shift to the other side, you know, Aiden McDonald, like I said, uh, probably the Gatorade player of the year from Salem. Um, Cole Yanako, running back from uh, Pinkerton, um, had a good game against Londonderry when they first met. Uh, very underrated kid from BG that people don't aren't really aware of is uh, Matt Santo Suasso. 
who was a basketball player, led him to the uh, state championship, um, junior quarterback, terrific player for them. He really makes him go. Uh, so who am I forgetting on the other side? Uh, oh, Londonderry. We'll go with Drew Heenan. Drew Heenan, you know, the, the uh, quarterback, he, he's been, you know, second string quarterback this year, forced into action, been terrific when he's played. Um, so he'll have to perform well. And just, just to, uh, we won't go through all the brackets, obviously two, three, four, but just uh, maybe a couple of players of each that you're going to have to watch for in those, in those divisions. Oh God, there's so many, uh, you know, um, I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's just so many teams down there. I don't want to leave anybody out. You know. Um, well, you've got undefeated Timberlane. Who's leading Timberlane? Who's the well, top Timberlane? Timberlane? You know, Timberlane's tough because they lost their starting quarterback now. So um, it's really their offensive line that, that gets it done for them. Um, but they do have a running back. Um, they have two of them really. Um, Dan Post, whose brother is at UNH, and. Um, uh, another running back, uh, Dom Palaria. Uh, they're pretty much even. I think they both have just under 800 yards rushing this year. So either of those kids. And Lebanon, the other undefeated team in D2, uh, their quarterback, Jack Stone, is really good, really makes them go. So, um, you know, those are the two of the many players to watch in D2, yeah. I would say. Fair enough, fair enough. Right, let's shift gears. Uh, baseball is done for the year. World Series over with. Uh, Atlanta Braves come up uh, four games to two over Houston. Uh, I know on the uh, National League side, obviously, Roger, you're disappointed the Dodgers didn't get to defend their title. Uh, Red Sox fans on the American League side thought we had more gas in the tank, and that didn't happen either. So anyway, takes on the World Series from you two gentlemen. Sam, why don't you start? How did how did Atlanta do it? I'm trying to figure it out. I mean, for the first three or four months of the season, they were a 500 team. But then uh, the bullpen came together. They got a little starting pitching. And um, I thought after they lost Ronald Acuna Jr. in the second month of the season, I thought Atlanta was out. I thought that was going to be it for the Braves. But give them a lot of credit. Boy, they really uh, they really pulled off a uh, Boston Red Sox uh, 2004 season uh, here this year and just and just dominated the Astros. The Astros just didn't show up. I don't think they, uh, I don't, I don't think they were ready to play. What about you, Raj? Yeah. Credit to the Braves. Um, you know, I, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I thought there was probably three teams in the NL that were better than anybody in the AL this year. And if you look at the pitching, you know, the Astros throughout there and, and even the Red Sox, people know what little pitching they had. I mean, that's hard to believe those two teams and those staffs were playing you know, to go to the World Series. So, I mean, I wasn't surprised at all that the Braves, uh, you know, won it. I, I do agree with Sam. I wasn't so sure they were even going to get there, though, when they lost to Cunha. But they, you know, they really put it together, kind of like the Nationals a few years ago, uh, playing their best baseball at the right time. And you really got to go back, if you're a Red Sox fan, and wonder, you know, why didn't they go get some pitching? You know, mm -hmm. you didn't have to mortgage the farm, really, mm -hmm. to get a couple of pitchers. You were so close. And that's what frustrates me about that organization. They're just commitment to winning isn't always there, you know. The Atlanta Braves, what I've noticed is that over the years, and this goes back to their glory days in the 90s, uh, when they won their last championship in 95, uh, they always build a system. Uh, Ryan Snitker, the, the, the manager, I mean, he's been with them how many years? I mean, 30 plus 40. years? 40. Yeah. Yeah. He's been there for a long time. 
Yeah, he was the second oldest manager to win the World Series at 66. And and this is it. They build a system up and they bring their talent up through the ranks. Uh, the Red Sox, the question is, we're going to have some uh, free agents. J.D. Martinez and Schwaber, their two designated hitters, are up for grabs. And, and uh, speculation is neither will be back. And How okay. would you like Freddie Freeman playing first base? I was well, thinking, the, same, thinking the exact same thing. Exact bingo. same thing. Yeah, bingo. And, and I, I think... From what I heard him say during the uh, celebrations at the end of the World Series, he'll stay with the Atlanta Braves. He'll take the hometown discount because that's his team, and I hope he does. I hope he. I hope he's good to his word. Um, I don't know who else will be out there in the open market for first base because we do need a first baseman. And, and Schwarber was basically just a bat we rented, and it's like I say, been nice knowing you. Well, I, I personally think they're going to move Devers to first base eventually. Right, I think so. I yeah. think so. I, I think they've got some minor leaguers that they're really looking forward to, and I don't think they want to mortgage the farm. I would. I have one free agent on my radar, and I'm just going to say his name. And if it happens, I'll take all the credit for it. <laughs> Nick Nick Castellanos from the Reds huh. is a is a free agent. Yeah, interesting. And he's a bat, and he's a good outfielder, and the Red Sox could use some outfield help. So. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put that name out there and the player I do not want to get in free agency. I do not want Craig Kimbrell back in free oh, agency. Okay. okay. So yeah. I'm one, I just want to get that on the record, Sherm. So no, okay. two minute drill time. Roger, why don't you kick it off? Um, well, just sticking with football uh, since it's a season. Um, this is uh, the second year of a two-year cycle, which means they're going to discuss realignment in the offseason, the NHIAA. And uh, just one interesting thing to keep an eye on is the fact that Timberlane will be coming back to Division One from Division Two, And I think that's interesting because that's going to give Division One 21 teams. So the whole structure of things may be wow. uh, different next year unless somebody is willing to go down to Division Two. Now, the problem with that is starting next year, if you go down a division lower than where your enrollment places you, you can't make the playoffs. You can go undefeated. They're not going to allow you to make the playoffs uh, for the first year, that two-year cycle. So teams are going to be reluctant to go down. We may have 21 teams. Um, I don't know if we're going to stick with four conferences or what they're going to do. So uh, another reason to subscribe to New Hampshire football report, Sherman, we'll keep there you on that off season news. Yeah. And Sam, how about that two minute drill? Sure. I got uh, going to do a quick recap, Sherm, of the, uh, the other Blue Hawk teams. Congrats to the volleyball team. They made the playoffs this year. They were seeded 15th. They lost to Hollis Brookline in the first round of that playoff. The uh, girls soccer team, uh, they finished with a seventh seed. They knocked off Londonderry in the first round uh, by a score of three to one, but lost a heartbreaker to Portsmouth. Portsmouth jumped out to a three to nothing lead. And uh, Megan Young's team in the second half scored two goals and were on the verge and playing some great uh, soccer, but just ran out of time in that one. Uh, Portsmouth eventually losing to Bedford in the semifinals of girls soccer. Boys soccer uh, for Dan Curran. Uh, same situation for the boys. Uh, they had a upset win over Wyndham, two to one, moved on to the quarterfinals and lost a heartbreaker to the top seed Nashua South, uh, three to two penalty kicks. I mean, it was a tough, 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 tough loss for the boys soccer team, but uh, they had a great season uh, regardless of that. And our champion, 
uh, champion in Exeter, the girls' field hockey team. Uh, I've been following this team all season long. Deb Grott and her team, what a great team. Uh, the, the 2021 version of Blue Hawk field hockey going all the way, uh, knocking off Winnicunit five to nothing in the semifinal, moving on against Wyndham, who they lost their only loss to, and they avenged that loss with an exciting uh, two to one uh, victory over the Jaguars in the final round. Uh, Deb Grott is the New Hampshire coach of the year, and uh, certainly our utmost congratulations to those players for that great season. Amen to that. And I tell you, we've uh, watched a lot of uh, field hockey together, you and I, <laughs> over the past <laughs> couple of weeks. And I'll tell you what, I've got a lot of respect for, for that sport. I hadn't watched more than just pieces of games it's over the It's a great sport. Year. It's great. It is. Great. And, and Love coach, it. coach Taylor said it's one of the fastest moving sports. He's absolutely right. And uh, <laughs> and I, I, it was fun to watch uh, the games. And uh, congratulations to Deb and the team. And we'll, we'll look forward to getting her on board here at some point in the future. My two-minute drill. There was a, a, a loss in the uh, broadcasting business over the past week, and uh, I think it affected a lot of us that have, have been Red Sox fans for years, and that's the uh, passing of Jerry Remy. Um, he had been fighting cancer for, well, six battles with it, and and, and succumbed this past week, and uh, there's been a lot of tributes to him. Uh, one in particular was on Channel 4, where they had the three main broadcasters that he had worked with over the years. Uh, of course, he started with Ned Martin. 30-some-odd years he's been with the, the, the broadcast team. And it was when he teamed up with Sean McDonough that the two kind of just clicked. There was a uh, symbiosis there. And McDonough is the first to admit that he knew uh, that, that that he could bring out something out of uh, the REM dog, as he was affectionately known. And uh, it, it carried over when he teamed up with Don Orsillo. And, and now in this current uh, incarnation with uh, Dave O'Brien. And uh, like I, I was texting back with Dave O'Brien the day I heard, heard the news and I said, you know, spring training, when you heard that voice in, in the spring training games, you knew, hey, if winter's over, it's time to get to work and baseball's here. It's gonna be a loss because we he was a local guy and, and he had had success with the Red Sox and, and he knew the game. One thing about him, he, he was a homer you know, he, 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 but he wasn't, he, he, he obviously supported the Red Sox, but there again, if they were stinking up the joint, he, he let everybody know, Hey, this guy could do better. That could have been played differently, whatever. What about you, Sam? Jerry Remy has had never been better than the three man booth with O'Brien Eckersley and Remy. Uh, that was broadcasting gold. Mm -hmm. uh, when those two guys would get together and just start conversing. And I think because of the pandemic, when they were in the studio, they were a little, they had a little bit more free time and they were a little bit more loosey goosey to mm -hmm. get into talking baseball and revealing a lot about themselves and what they went through during their years in the league. So uh, that was, uh, that's my lasting memory of uh, Jerry Remy is the, the, the enjoyment of those three talking baseball. Yeah, as I said to Dave O'Brien, I said, I think when they put Eck in the booth with uh, Jerry and Dave, I said, that was the triple crown. You had you had the two perspectives, the pitching, you had the player that, that was on the field and, and had the solid play-by-play -play guy. Ready to adjourn, gentlemen? That'll wrap it up. On behalf of Sam Bruno and our special guest today from the New Hampshire Football Report and Union Leader, Roger Brown, this is Sherm Chester inviting you to join us on the next edition of the Seaco Sports Forum.
Be sure to subscribe to Exeter TV on YouTube and hit the bell to get notified about new episodes of the Seacoast Sports Forum and other local content. Follow the Sports Forum team behind the scenes on our Facebook and Twitter pages and send us your game footage and photos to our email. That's seacoastsportsforum.extv at gmail.com. This is Sherm Chester inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seacoast Sports Forum. 